they would wait for that peace. The Israelites, they would wait for 700 years for that peace to finally come, for that peace, the Messiah, the Prince of Peace, they would wait 700 years. And then one day, one day, he came. Jesus entered the temple courts, drove out all those who were buying and selling there, and he overturned the tables and the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. And he said, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of robbers. That scene, this scene, took place in the week, what we call Holy Week. Um, it happened just after that Palm Sunday celebration. If you have your Bibles, uh, that passage came from Matthew 21. If you have your Bibles, we're just going to back up a little bit and read from the beginning of Matthew 21. We're going to read a little bit of that triumphal entry as it precedes what happens here in the temple. Matthew 21 verses 1 through 11 says this, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you'll find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, say the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and they placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. And a very loud, very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of them and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? And the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus times his arrival to come into Jerusalem with Holy Week. Uh, it was the one week out of the year in which Israelites would come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Jesus knows everything that he's doing. Every detail in this story is planned, even that which we read about the donkey. Jesus times his arrival to declare his upside down kingdom during this week, the busiest week of the year, the Passover week. Most estimates say that in Jerusalem during Jesus's day, there might've been a population of about 50,000 people but during Holy Week, the population would swell to as many as 150,000 people. People would come from all over the place to be in Jerusalem during Holy Week. They'd come and stay with family. They'd stay with friends. They'd stay in the hillsides. They'd stay out in the nearby fields. And as part of the Passover ritual, they'd come to sacrifice to make atonement for their sins. They'd bring along a lamb or they would just simply wait and purchase a lamb there at the temple. One estimate by the historian Flavius Josephus records that in 4 BC, over 250,000 lambs were sacrificed for Passover. When Jesus comes in, 
um, riding on a donkey on Palm Sunday. When he comes into town, where does he go? Where do you think Jesus goes? Where's the first place that he goes? According to Matthew's gospel, he goes straight to the temple. The temple would be like the most important place in all of Jerusalem. The temple literally was the most important place in all of Jerusalem and in all of Israel. It wasn't just the religious center of the nation of Israel. It was the cultural center of the nation. Everything revolves around the temple. The temple represented the place where heaven and earth overlapped. The temple wasn't just a building to the people of Israel. The temple was the place where they believed the presence of God himself existed. And it was here where they would come to celebrate this festival. It was here where people would come and congregate. Jesus, when he comes to the temple, he's coming to the epicenter of the world. Matthew says that when Jesus comes, he comes into the temple courts. You heard that in the reading in Matthew 21. I want you to get a picture of this. Just uh, maybe this will help you kind of get a frame of what's going on here. You see in the bottom uh, yellow, that yellow um, highlighted portion there in the corner, in the, in the bottom of the screen. Just above it, it says court of the Gentiles. That's where this scene is going on. It's going on near the temple, but not inside the temple. Right in the middle of the picture would be the temple. This area is called the court of the Gentiles. This is where um, this story took place. Sometimes when you hear this story, you might have heard it as Jesus comes to cleanse the temple. Jesus is not cleansing the temple. Jesus is cleansing these, this courtyard area. The temple doesn't need to be cleansed. His people need cleansing. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those who were selling doves. I grew up uh, singing this little chorus. Maybe some of you grew up singing this little chorus uh, by a guy named Charles Wesley. The chorus said, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, look upon this little child. Anyone know that one? A couple people, yeah. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, look upon this little child. And that's true. Jesus even described himself as gentle and lowly in heart. But when Jesus saw what was going on in the temple courts, he was not gentle Jesus, meek and mild. He was fatal Jesus, angry and wild. Jesus is saying, what's happening here is not okay. What's happening here in the temple courts is not okay. Jesus is really, really angry, righteous anger. If you have your Bibles, flip over with me to the beginning of John's gospel, John chapter two, verses 13 through 17. John two, verses 13 through 17. And I want you just to hear this account written by John the Beloved. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep and doves, and others sitting at the table exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and he overturned their tables. And to those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. And his disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. Sound familiar? 
Sound a little bit like Matthew's gospel? Matthew, Mark, Luke, they all record this story and they all tuck it toward the end of their gospel. But here, John has it at the beginning. John includes this account kind of at the beginning of Jesus's ministry. And there's some debate whether or not this is the same story or whether or not this actually happened twice. I want you to think about this for a minute. There are some commentators that believe that this story, this These are two separate events, what John's describing here, different than what Matthew is describing. John says here that Jesus flipped over the tables and he made a whip and he drives out the money changers. There's cattle in John's account, not in Matthew's. And these guys, uh, these stories kind of feel a little bit different. They have a little bit of a different weight. Let's just say for a moment that this story, that these are two separate stories, that this account, these two accounts are different. Let's just say these two accounts are different. Jesus comes in the first time and he drives out the money changers, the cattle, he has the whip, he's all upset and, 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 and then he leaves. And then he comes back a couple years later and he sees the same people doing the same thing He sees those same tables that he tipped over. He sees those same tables set back up. Everybody doing their thing. The money changers are here. I don't know how many of you guys are parents and how many of you guys have told your kids to do something and they did it because they had done something wrong. You said, hey, don't do that again. And then you came back a couple of days later and they're doing the very same thing. That ever happened to any parents in the room? That's definitely never happened to this parent, not one time. But could you imagine if this story actually is two separate stories? Jesus comes the first time and he turns over all the tables and then he comes back a couple of years later and these very same tables that he turned over are all put back together and business as usual. We just had to move some things around, just kind of get it out of the way. How would Jesus feel then? How would he feel the second time when he walks into the temple courts and he sees the very same thing happening again? You want to talk about angry? Jesus would have been really, really angry. This isn't the only time that Jesus got angry. In fact, I read 15 examples in the Gospels of Jesus being angered. Each time was righteous indignation. I want to just give you two examples Another time when Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with a shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. And then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they all remained silent. And he looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Second example comes from Matthew chapter 11, verse 20 through 24. Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed. 
because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For the miracles, for if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented a long time ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were performed and you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. Jesus is pretty angry. When Jesus denounces the cities of Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum, he doesn't burden them with a legalistic list of things to do and things to stop doing. And instead of loading those people up, he actually desires to unload them, to unburden them. This is what Jesus goes on to say to those three cities. This is four verses later. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Whenever, wherever Jesus expresses righteous indignation, there's always an invitation for healing. A couple of words here about Jesus's anger. It's primarily expressed toward two groups of people. The first is to religious hypocrites. Those guys are the ones who, bury, uh, who end up getting the worst of Jesus's anger, religious hypocrites. But there's also some times where Jesus gets angry with his closest followers. Those who will willfully harden their hearts instead of humbling themselves and taking him at his word. But let me say this, please hear me. Jesus's anger was never aimed at a prostitute or at a tax collector, or at a political candidate. And in his anger, Jesus always created space for healing. Let me just pause here real quick to ask a question. Anyone here notice that America seems pretty angry? Uh, A few of you? Yeah, just a couple of you noticed that... (laughs) A critical mass of citizens are clamoring in pain and hurling accusations and jeering at their opponents and canceling people out and holding grudges and threatening one another. Anyone notice that some of Jesus's most ardent followers are really, really angry? Is that okay? A lot of times I hear these folks, religious Jesus followers, real time and time again, point to this portion of scripture to justify their anger. Righteous indignation. I think we need to be really, really careful when we start doing that. Let's look at the text just a little bit more closely. Jesus is angry because people were being extorted. People were being prevented to honor God through true worship. And the religious were not only allowing for this to go on, they were perpetuating this little shady business deal in the house of God, making it a place of exploitation. You might've heard this detail. 
Jesus overturned the tables and drove out those who were selling doves. My dove cage here that got overturned. What's the deal with the doves? What's the deal with the dove cages? Right, it was an unblemished lamb that you were to bring along in order to make atonement for your sin. So those guys that have been traveling for a long ways away, they would either bring their unblemished lamb with them or they'd purchase one when they got to the temple. But I want you to see how intentional Jesus is here. He's not just going on a rager. He's not just knocking things over. He's not just going crazy. He specifically goes after those who are selling doves. What's the deal with the doves? Leviticus chapter five, verse seven says this. Anyone who cannot afford a lamb is to bring two doves or two young pigeons to the Lord as a penalty for their sin, one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. Why is Jesus angry? Why does he go after those who are selling doves? Because Jesus is standing up for the poor. Because Jesus sees that those who are poor are being marginalized. Those who are poor are being mistreated and abused. Those who are poor are being dehumanized. And Jesus says, this is not okay. This is not okay. I'll just maybe ask a couple questions here. Uh, When was the last time that someone flipped over some tables on your behalf? When was the last time someone flipped over a table on your behalf? Anybody done that? When was the last time you stood with someone and you said, what has happened to you is not okay. And I'm here to stand with you and I'm here to stand for you. There is a great cost at flipping over a table. Some of you guys know that cost. You've given your money, you've given your time, you've given your tears, you've given your strength, you've given your weakness, you've given your very self. And there is no greater gift that one can receive than the gift of yourself. But it is not righteous indignation if there is no cost. Like many of you, There have been times in my life where someone has flipped a table over on my behalf and it cost those people dearly. And each time I received a sense of deep healing. Jesus would be arrested a couple days later. His formal arrest would happen at the garden of Gethsemane after Jesus coming out of the garden of Gethsemane, but it would be tied back to this scene. It'd be tied back to what Jesus did in the temple. It is written, he said, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of robbers. Jesus is quoting two prophets, the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 56, seven, and he's quoting Jeremiah seven. Jesus is not just angry at the way, Jesus is not just angry, he's angry at the way that people are being mistreated and he's angry at the way in which the worship of his father is being dishonored. My house will be called a house of prayer. 
you're making it a den of robbers. Jesus is exhibiting righteous anger and he has the authority to do so because Jesus is the Messiah of Israel. He is God's representative over his house. One more word here real quick. I'd be remiss not to remind you that your body is the temple of God. Paul writes these words to the church at Corinth. Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Paul would write to the church at Rome. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your true and proper worship. Uh, Christy and I have been talking a little bit about heaven, and I was reading Revelation chapter 21 and 22, and those two books talk a little bit about what heaven will be like, the end of this great love story. And one of the things that I noticed is that there's no temple there. There's no temple there. Because we're there. We will be there. We are the temple of the living God. A couple questions for you to consider about your temple. Are there things you do with your body? The temple of the living God that do not honor him. Are there places in your mind where you desire cleansing? And are there attitudes of the heart toward others that need to be overturned? Your body is the temple of the living God. My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. Jesus is quoting from Isaiah, but he's also quoting from Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 7 is probably the most famous sermon that the prophet Jeremiah preached. I want to read the first 11 verses of Jeremiah's sermon. God is saying through the prophet Jeremiah, because of your disobedience, because of your refusal to allow God to be your God, he's going to destroy the temple and the house of Israel and Jeremiah tells the Israelites all this. They don't want to have anything to do with it. They don't want to listen to it at all. I want to read a little bit of this sermon to you. And I want you to consider it in one of three ways. Consider it in the context in which it was written. It was written to the religious Israelites who were mistreating their brothers and sisters. So consider it that way if you'd like. Or you could consider it in our context, in our relationship together. We, the temple of the living God here at Sanctuary, maybe you could consider these, this little brief sermon as it relates to, to us. Or thirdly, as, as it relates to you and your temple, just you and your body. You guys ready? Here we go. Jeremiah chapter 7 verses 1 through 11. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand at the gate, the Lord's house, and there proclaim this message. Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah who come through these gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. 
reform your ways and your actions, and I'll let you live in this place. Don't trust in deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. If you really change your ways and your actions and you deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the foreigner, the fatherless or the widow and do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place in the land I gave your ancestors forever and ever. But look, you're trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. Will you steal and murder and commit adultery and perjury and burn incest to ball and follow other gods you have not known and then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say, we're safe, we're safe. Safe to do all these detestable things. Has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers to you? But I've been watching, declares the Lord. Here's how I want to end this message. It's the next verse in the story in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 21, verse 14. After Jesus had driven out the money changers, after he quoted scripture, this is what happens next, very next verse. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. Lots of people were running around, scattered, fearful. But those that needed healing finally saw a way in which they could come to Jesus, the blind and the lame. Now there was a path. Now there was a place for them. Now they were welcomed in. The blind and the lame came to the temple and he healed them. In his righteous anger, in his love, Jesus made a way for the blind and the lame and the helpless and the harassed and the rest of us to come to him for ultimate healing. May you and I come to him today, our healer. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for coming for us. Thank you for coming for us. Because of your wounds, we are healed. We give you praise. Thank you for overturning an old order, an old way. And thank you for overcoming to make way, a new way for us that we may know and that we may experience your healing, your wholeness, and holiness. We give you praise, Jesus, our healer. It's in your name we pray.